uh, to Hebrews chapter 4. And as you're turning there, let me uh, highlight a couple things. A few you heard there. If you haven't uh, picked up a devotional yet, I want to encourage you to do that before you go home at the Welcome Center. Uh, our theme this year is Breakthrough. We have a 21-day devotional that uh, coincides with our 21 days of uh, prayer and fasting that starts tomorrow morning. Uh, also, to kick that time off, tomorrow, as you just heard, 6 to 7 a.m., we're going to have a prayer and worship time here in the sanctuary, uh, as we will every Monday of the fast. So for the next three Monday mornings, we'll gather here. So look, uh, this isn't one of those things that if you can't be here by 6, don't come. You know, depending on, everybody's got a different morning schedule. It'll be open and free-flowing. And so if you can jump in at 6.45 on your way, come on. If you can stay the whole hour, come. If you can come at 6 and you have to leave at 6.30, come on. It, it's fine. It doesn't matter. We'd love to have you for any part of that. But what we want to try to do is kick this time of uh, prayer and fasting off with, a, with an intense uh, worship time and prayer time. So join us there. Uh, grab the devotional. They are uh, ready for you, and we'll talk a little more about that as the morning goes on. Uh, a week from tonight will be soak uh, service, and then two weeks from tonight we'll have another evening prayer. Uh, we call it freedom and healing time. So I want to encourage you. We're trying to make those special spaces that you can come and will enhance and strengthen your own time of prayer and fasting. So we've got every Monday morning, 6 to 7, We've got uh, next Sunday night soak, and then the next Sunday night after that, all at 5.30, uh, will be our freedom and healing service. So I want to ask you to come and let's pray and seek the Lord for a breakthrough. Now this morning I want to start this series off that we're simply calling Breakthrough. If you have something to write with, you might want to uh, grab it. There won't, be, there won't be as clean of points for you to write down maybe as uh, I normally give you. But there will be thoughts that will grab your heart and I believe the Holy Spirit will will settle into your soul for you to unpack over the next few weeks of prayer and fasting and so whatever grabs your heart write it down and and let the Lord use that to minister to you um, we're gonna talk this morning about breakthrough in faith each week we're gonna talk about a breakthrough somewhere today we're gonna start with a breakthrough in faith now let me tell you I feel like in the church world and Christianity and this walk of faith, we're sort of stuck between two uh, hyper extremes. On the one hand, you have hyper faith. In other words, it's that kind of theology that says, you know, God's already done everything that he's going to do and everything now is up to you. You're in total control. Just plug in, believe, pray. Pray harder, say the right words, and you'll get the life that you always wanted. And if you don't get the life you always wanted, you did something wrong with your faith. And too often it's an attempt to control the uncontrollable. And it, in its worst form, it's witchcraft. You know what witchcraft is? It's, it's the um, attempt to use supernatural things to do what I want, to get my way. That's what, witch, that's what witchcraft is. So on one hand, you have hyper-faith. On one polar extreme, you have hyper-faith. On the other one, you have what I call hyper-fatalism. In other words, it's all up to God. God has mapped out my life before the beginning of the world. Everything that we're going to go through has already been predetermined. And the best thing we can do is endure it and play along. 
We have no say, we have no influence, we have no response. We, we, we can't change anything. God only cares about our soul, and he only cares about the circumstances and suffering and the challenges that we go through. All they mean to God is whatever purpose they can serve to mature us, but nothing else really matters. And it's too often an attempt to control the uncontrollable through escapism. In its worst form, it paints a picture of God who's unconcerned and who's distant and doesn't care and doesn't sympathize with the challenges or the weaknesses of our life. And, and in its worst form, it paints a picture of a God who we're not even sure who loves us. How, how would you even know if God loved you then? And the only point to prayer is obedience and obligation and we have to throw away all the counsel in Scripture that has to do with bringing our needs to God with any expectation of His uh, response. In its end, it's faithlessness. Hyper, hyper faith or hyper fatalism. But it, in the backdrop of hyper fatalism, the Bible teaches that Abraham negotiated with God. God said, if you find 50 righteous, I won't destroy the city. He said, what if we find 40? What if we find 30? What if we find 20? <laughs> Abraham negotiated with God. Abraham made a difference in what was going to happen, or at least in the number that could have made something different happen. Jonah was in the belly of a whale. And he repented and prayed and got delivered from the fish and preached a great revival to Nineveh. Had Jonah not prayed, would that have ever happened? The apostle Paul and Silas were in prison and somewhere around midnight, the Bible says, they were praying and praising God and an earthquake came and shook the jail and the doors flew open. Uh, the apostle Peter was put in prison. And he was stuck, the Bible says, sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains and guards at the door. But the fervent prayer of the church was going on in another location. And the Bible says an angel appeared and led Peter out of the prison. And as they walked to the iron gate that led to the city, the gate opened by itself. And the angel disappeared and the apostle Peter walked to John's mother's house where the church was fervently praying for him. When's the last time you fervently prayed? fervently praying for him and, and look God is sovereign and he's mysterious and I don't understand everything he does and on the other hand I have a role that does determine the outcome of my life I'm not in total control but neither are my prayers and my fasting and my seeking to God useless it's in this gap between hyper faith and hyper fatalism that we fast it's in this gap that we pray. It's in this mysterious place of faith where we don't understand it all. We don't have it all together. But it's in that gap that we seek God's face and we ask God for a breakthrough. Now, just to make sure you're still breathing, how many of you need a breakthrough somewhere? Just lift your hand up. All right, as the service goes on, the number of those hands are going to keep going up. Our theme this year is breakthrough. Over the next several weeks, today we're going to talk about a breakthrough in faith. Next week we're going to talk about a breakthrough in family. We're going to talk about relationships. The third week we're going to talk about a breakthrough in fire. A breakthrough in fire. Acts 2 says that the church at the beginning was in the upper room, all together gathered in one place in one accord, and they were praying, and the Holy Spirit fell on them. And there was a fire 
that covered the early church. A breakthrough in fire. And the last week, we're going to talk about a breakthrough in finance and fitness. So that theme is patterned out through your devotional, so I want you to join me there. Hebrews chapter 4, today we're talking about a breakthrough in faith. Let me give you just a couple thoughts about Hebrews before we get into it. Hebrews is a theological treasure. There's a, a rhythm to the book that is very different than other books that you find in the Bible. On an Old Testament canvas, the writer paints a New Testament liberty. Christianity, in other words, doesn't just, didn't just start out of nowhere. The contrast in this book between the old and the new and how they tie and work together is so profound that this book has been themed better things. That's the theme of the book of Hebrews. Hebrews ties together a New Testament understanding of Jesus and an Old Testament revelation of Jehovah God. Christianity doesn't stand on its own. We're, our root system is found in the Jewish religion. Christianity, in other words, isn't a house without a foundation. So let me say it plainly this morning. What am I trying to say? You and I are not the first ones that tried to walk this walk. You and I are not the first ones that tried to go on this journey of faith. There are other people who've walked this walk before us. And it's from that perspective that the entire book of Hebrews is written. Hebrews is tying together the Jewish nation's struggle to enter into rest as they go through the wilderness. They're trying to find a breakthrough into the promised land. They're hearing about a land of promise, but they've never seen it. Sounds like faith to me, Hebrews 11. Faith is the evidence of things not seen. This verse is unique in that it will disturb you. It won't just make you feel good. It'll shake you up and it will disturb you. And without God sometime coming in your life and disturbing you, how do, if God only affirms you and never disturbs you, how do you know you're His? How do you know you have depth and relationship? And that's what faith is. Faith is a struggle. I'm not here this morning to paint some kind of picture of faith that everything's always alright and everything's, you just pop in the formula and out pops the Pop-Tart. The Pop-Tart of life that you always wanted and you just walk around with jelly around your lips all the time. Faith is a struggle. If there's nothing in your faith that intimidates you and there's nothing in your faith that confuses you and there's nothing in your faith that humbles you, there's nothing in your faith that frustrates you, I'm not sure you have real faith. There's nothing in your faith that challenges your, your ideas of grandeur about yourself or about your life or how your life ought to turn out or, or the dream that you always had then I'm not sure your faith is real your faith is a struggle it's a conflict between where I am and where I ought to be it's a conflict between what I feel and what he's called me to do it's a conflict between the passions of my body and the calling of my spirit see faith is a war <laughs> faith is a war 
Faith will bring guns and knives and faith will drop bombs and it'll use weapons of mass destruction and faith will leave craters in your soul and faith will shoot earthquakes through your life as you struggle to become who God made you to be. There's always a gulf between who God says we are and who we presently are. It's a struggle between the holy you and the human you. Like twins struggling in the womb. You can't get rid of one for the other. You pray that the holy one will defeat the human one, but it's not going to happen. You're always going to be human. You're always going to be human. And the devil says, let the human one defeat the holy one. But God's grace says, I'm not going to let that happen. We live in a struggle, never able to defeat one for the other. I want the Holy One. I've been thinking and hoping and praying and fasting and seeking, and I keep thinking after all this time, God would have done killed the human part of me. But he hadn't done it yet. The mean joker's still in there. He's always going to be in there. He's always going to be in you. But it's the human you that gives the Holy you flavor. Isn't it interesting, like uh, 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 the marbling in a fine cut of meat, it's the fat that gives the meat its flavor. It's the human you that gives the holy you humility. Hebrews warns us that this struggle on the inside has something to do with the struggle on the outside, and we're wrestling to enter that rest. We're wrestling to enter. That's why we fast. We fast because we're trying to create some measure of chaos and sacrifice on the outside to help us see and touch and understand what's really going on on the inside. Otherwise, it's invisible. It's too far removed. It's too deep. It's too separated from our tangible, visible life. We can't touch it. We can't see it. And we're likely to forget it's there. So right now, we're not in a rest. We're in a wilderness. We're in a struggle. There's not a person in this room that's not in some kind of wilderness. You can go ahead and go down to the furniture store and buy the biggest lazy boy they got with big poofy armrest and double back, wing back, lay back, levitate you upside down from your room, put the remote and a glass of tea in your hand, sit there, and I guarantee you the wilderness will still find you. Hebrews warns us you're not the first ones to walk this path And if you don't learn from the ones who went before you, you're going to die in the same spot they died in. That's what the journey tells us. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 1. New American Standard. Therefore let us, I want to ask you to circle three words and I'm just going to unpack those three phrases. Therefore let us fear. Circle that word, fear. Therefore let us fear... If while a promise remains of entering his rest, any one of you may seem to have come short of it. For indeed we have good news preached to us just as they also had good news preached to them while they were on the same journey of faith that we're on. People have walked here before. But the word they heard, now circle this, did not profit. Did not profit. Because it was not, circle this, united with faith. United with faith. So this morning I want to talk about a breakthrough in faith. Hebrews says let us fear. Now this, is, this should startle you. 
this should disturb you. This should cause your ears to stand up. This is not what you hear us preach, and this is not what you hear from most of the Bible, and this is not what you hear from Jesus' own lips most of the time. Be afraid. When God tells you to be afraid, I mean, God's always telling you not to be afraid. When God tells you to be afraid, something's, something's serious. This is the God who says, fear not. Jesus calmed the wind and the waves and said, don't be afraid. And this is the book that says, God hasn't given us a spirit of fear. This is the book that says, perfect love, cast away all fear. The number one instruction in the entire New Testament is, do not be afraid. Is this a contradiction? No, it's a collaboration of truth. The New Testament is telling us that there's some things that we should be afraid of and there's some things that we should not be afraid of. The Bible tells us you shouldn't fear people or the criticism of people or to make people happy or to try to please people. You shouldn't fear that. You should fear God. The Bible tells us we shouldn't fear the devil or fear fear evil. But there is something we should fear. What is it? We should fear that we live and we die, and we don't reach that which God promised. That's what we should fear. We should be afraid. Now, that strikes a chord in my heart because as a child, I was raised in a very fearful environment. I'd go as far to say paranoid. Our home was regularly filled with conversation about fear, fear that we would run out, fear that we wouldn't have enough, fear that the house would burn down, fear that somebody would break in and take everything we had, fear that people were out to get us or they were going to manipulate it, they were trying to use us, or fear that something bad was going to happen. And when I became a Christian and I got saved, the enemy just took that fear and he transferred it over to my saved life and I still had a lot of fear. Just started to fear different things then. But as I begin to grow in God and I begin to learn that God said don't be afraid of those things, through His grace I overcame those fears and I learned something about fear. Fear will control you and fear will own you and it will change you and it will shrink you and it will kill you before you die. You wish you would die. And it will chase you off into a wilderness God never intended for you to live in. And most people live and die in the wilderness of uncertainty. You may be sitting here this morning and there's so much uncertainty. You would have done it, but you weren't sure. You would have taken the chance, but you weren't sure. You would have taken the opportunity. You would have taken the risk. You would have reached out and tried to do it. You would have moved forward, but you were afraid. You weren't sure. And fear becomes our enemy because we can be afraid of the wrong thing. But we have to be more afraid of not doing what God created us to do. How much fear do you have of that this morning? How disturbed are you today that you might miss something that God promised you? Does that make you afraid at all? The greater fear is to have lived and died and never understood the purpose of our life. As as God's grace began to set me free from my fears... I notice I begin to change fears and I begin to have a more godly fear. And the fear that left me or was left with me, the fear that stayed with me, and the thing that shakes my soul, I, I, am, I am scared to death that I'm going to be sitting in a nursing home one day looking out a window somewhere wondering what if. 
What if I would have tried? What if I would have not played it safe? What if I would have went for it? What if I would have laid it on the line? What if I would have lived the full adventure of faith? What if I would have trusted God? What if I would have pushed a little more? I don't want to die with questions. Let us fear not entering into the breakthrough that God promised. Let's fear it. For us to settle for less is to settle for mediocrity. And boy, in American Christianity, we got so many settlers. They'll just set up camp and build an build a outstation and settle. Just set roots down and just settle. This isn't such a bad place and things aren't going all that bad. And my life's sort of how I wanted it and sort of how God wanted it. And sort of, I mean, I'm saved. I mean, I'll probably go to heaven. I mean, we've got a good church. I mean, I've got a pretty good job. I mean, you know, the kids are okay. I mean, we're, it's, not, it's not exactly what I thought it should have been. But, you know, it's okay. Let us just, let us just settle. Then there's this phrase that pops up in Hebrews 4 after let us fear that says it did not profit them. The word of God came to them and did not profit them. He brings up these Old Testament saints. The ones who died in the wilderness. The ones who didn't make it to the promised land. The ones who never did have the breakthrough they should have had. And he said, it didn't profit them because they didn't mix it with faith. Now, what is profit? Profit is what you have left when the transaction's over. Right? I'm speaking English, right? Profit is what you have left when the transaction's over. If you break even, you don't have any profit. If you go in the red, you don't have any profit. What profit is, is what you have left. You can only determine profit after you've deducted all your liabilities. It didn't say they didn't have a transaction in the wilderness. It didn't say they didn't have conflict in the wilderness. It didn't even say they didn't have victory in the wilderness. What it said is they had no profit. Profit's not determined by how well you fight. It's not determined by how well you stood. It's not determined by how many victories you have. Profit is only determined by one thing. It's determined by what you have left when the transaction's over. Right? That's what profit is. Now look, in my own life, I've been knocked down. I've seen dark days. I've gotten bad news. I've had days where I just ached in my soul. I've had more pain than I ever thought I would have. I've had more disappointment than I ever thought I would have. But you know what? It's January of 2015, and I'm here. Right? You know what that's called? Profit. The transaction's over, and what you got left is profit. And the Bible says they didn't profit by it. But there's been some terrible deductions. I'm not as fast as I used to be. I'm not as strong and I'm not as sharp. And I've been through some storms. I've been through ecological storms and supernatural storms and human storms. And I faced things I never thought I'd face. But the fact that you survived was what you profited. So if you got any profit today, you might as well just thank God. 
If you're still serving him today, here you are. You got your little Bible and your little devotional and you've been talking maybe as a family. How are we going to do this fast and what are we going to do with the kids and can we really go Monday morning at 6 and you know, you go one week and I'll go the... And here you are. Here you are reloading and getting ready and you're here in worship service this morning and here you are putting your foot forward, walking forward in your faith, trying to serve, trying to seek, trying to pray, trying to reach out, trying to follow God. That's profit. You profited from the transactions of your life because you're reloading for the fast. The Bible says, though, the word did not profit them. I'm afraid of having a transaction that costs me everything. What I want is I want to get out of this thing and still have faith. That's what it's about. This isn't about, this isn't about having enough faith for a breakthrough, this is about having a breakthrough in your faith. It's two different things. I want to get out of this thing with faith. I want my faith to be all right. I want to still believe. I want to still seek. I still want to come after. I still want to find. I want to get out of this thing with faith. When I was a, a kid, my family was very broken. And that brokenness cost me something to survive it. When I got to college, my parents divorced. And that divorce cost me something to survive it. And when I was working in college, I had an accident that had been a split-second change. I would have lost both my feet. But I happened to react right at the last second, and it just crushed and broke one foot. And, and it took months to recover. It, I, I, I made it, but it cost something. We were in Mississippi pastoring, and a board member's wife called me and said, you know, tonight, they're going to try to vote you out. And I survived it. Survived it, but it cost something. Looked on the screen one day, and the weatherman said, this is the one we've always feared. There's a Category 5 hurricane coming, and it's aimed at your mailbox. And it's going to hit, and all you can do is run. And it scattered and flew and blew and destroyed. And we stayed with our feet in the ground and we rebuilt a church in the aftermath of Katrina. And we turned over people in and out and hurt and wounded and scattered and everything else. And by the time we looked back and left, there were 20 people left in that church that had been there longer than us in eight years. And that church today has another pastor and a good core and they're moving forward and they're baptizing people and they're healthy. Yeah, we made it and the church made it, but it cost something. Right in the middle of that storm, the doctor calls and says, your son has type 1 diabetes. And I said, what's that? I don't even know what that is. I mean, we're supposed to get on a plane in two days and fly to the, uh, up in the New England area and do, can, do we still go? What do we do? He said, no, 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 no. You got to cancel all this life changing. He's not going to be out of the hospital for four days. And he'll be fine. It's you, you and your wife we're worried about. We've got to teach you how to take care of him at four. Oh, I survived, but it cost something. And then about three years ago, the doctor said, oh, your other son's got type 1 diabetes. I survived, but it cost something. Last year, the doctor told me, my wife's got Huntington's. I'm surviving, but it's costing me something. If you were to hand the microphone out all across this room, you'd have stories all over this room. Oh, yeah, yeah, you divorced, 
And I mean, you survived, but it cost you something. You raised the kids by yourself, but <laughs> it cost you something. Yo, you came from a terrible family. You came from a terrible... Your childhood was terrible. You were abused. You were mistreated. You were a victim. You were said... Things said to you should have never been said to a dog. But you survived, but it cost you something, didn't it? Took something out of you. So, some of you have overseen bankrupt businesses. You, you did the right thing, and because you did the right thing, you ended up going bankrupt. But it, it, you made it, but it cost you something, didn't it? You raised the kids on your own. You survived. You went through it. Every fight has a cost. Let's just don't pretend this morning that everybody's okay and everything's okay and nobody needs a breakthrough in their faith. Don't tidy up your little knickknacks of faith and put them on the shelf and have the fresh little covers on them and say, now I've got my faith all figured out and I understand everything about faith and God and life and I have no questions or confusion at all. Let's just don't pretend. Faith is a struggle, it's not a science. And what we have here today in this room is what's left. That's called profit. They went through the wilderness, they went through the journey, and they did not profit. And if you and I don't heed the warning of those who walk the walk of faith before us, we'll die where they died. So what does Hebrews say? Be afraid of that. Have some fear about that. It's a healthy fear of that. The Bible says, here's the last phrase, the reason that they didn't profit by it is because they did not unite the word with faith. They didn't, some translations say, they didn't mix the word with faith. Now that, that doesn't mean, it doesn't matter how clearly God says it. In other words, it doesn't matter how clearly God says it. It doesn't matter how clearly it's written in the Bible if you don't mix it with faith. Right? If it's unmixed, it's, it's an incomplete ingredient that has to be whipped up, mixed with something else in order for it to make what it needs to make. The, what kind of harvest you get depends on what kind of ground the seed falls on. He'll bring the seed, you got to get the ground ready. He'll do the work of the, of the seed. He'll make sure the seed has the right DNA. The seed has everything in it it needs. You've got to work the ground up so that it'll receive the seed. The, the first few years that I was a, a lead pastor were, were very interesting. Uh, the, the biggest difference I found between being a staff pastor at a church, which is what I'd always been, and a lead pastor, the biggest difference was because there's so many similarities that they're not different in most ways. But the biggest difference I found was the amount of criticism that you take when you, when you step into that spot. Criticism that you take. And so in your own struggle of faith as a leader, you've got to figure out how to deal with that. And, and, and you, I remember people would come to me and, and you'll say, hey, we're going to go to another church because we're not being fed here, right? Uh, that's not, that's, uh, and it's so funny, everybody that says that seems to think that it's unique to them. <laughs> I heard T.D. Jakes uh, a couple years ago say somebody told him that. I said, T.D. Jakes? <laughs> if nothing else, I mean, the brother's bringing the word. You know what I'm saying? 
Really? T.D. Jakes? So it's universal. It's human nature. But you've got to learn how to deal with that. Right? You've got to learn how to, what are we going to do about that? You know, we're going to go somewhere. We're not being fed. We're going to go somewhere. We, we can get the word. And, and you have to figure out how to get over that. And what you have to sort of process through your own being is, look, it's kind of like if you had seven children and you were feeding them all the same thing and five were growing and two weren't, you know there's nothing wrong with the food. Anybody got me? Nothing wrong with the food. What does the Bible teach us? Something wrong with the ground. Farmer went out to sow seed. And what determines what kind of harvest those seed produce is determined not by the type of seed, it's determined by the ground. So what you and I got to do in 2015 in our faith is we got to mix this seed with faith. We got to mix. We got to get the ground right. We got to get the ground ready. We got to churn it up and stir it up and chop it up and and move it up. We've got to mix it, the Bible says, with faith. So every action has to be met with an opposite reaction. So when God sends the word out, if you don't send your faith out to mix with it, nothing's going to happen. Nothing's going to happen in your soul. Nothing's going to happen in your mind. If you're discouraged, you're going to stay discouraged. If you're defeated, you're going to stay defeated. If you're frustrated, you're going to stay frustrated. Then the word, the Bible says, does not profit you, not because the word's not good, but because you haven't had the faith to mix it with. Now, let's talk about the devotional for a minute. That's why we took a totally different approach on the devotional this year. If you flip through it, you say, hey, there's nothing in there for me to read. I wanted something to read. There's just blanks. Jesus, take the wheel. What are we going to do? What we're going to do is we're actually going to read the Bible. That's the seed. The questions are to help you bring your faith to mix with the seed. You know why? Because it will profit your soul. So I'm not saying that's the only way. I'm not saying that's the best way. I'm not saying we'll always do it that way. What I'm saying is for this year when our theme is breakthrough, I looked at our guys and I said, let's don't write our words. Let's bring them to his words. And you read his words. And then you process his words. You know what you're doing? You are mixing your faith with his word. And Hebrews says that's how you get profit. That's how you get profit. Your soul will profit. When, when our son first became diabetic, they gave us these little drinks. I asked the worship team to come. These little drinks, uh, whatever, it's a special formulated something, who, blah, 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 something. And I noticed on the back it said, uh, shake well. And, and, and the reason you got to shake well is because if you don't shake well, you're not going to get all the nutrition. This is perfectly balanced. It's the right meal. It's the right amount of carbohydrates. It's the right amount of protein. It's the right amount of nutrients. It's the right amount of vitamins. It, 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 it's put in here the way it's supposed to be put in here. But when you sit it on the shelf and you don't shake it up, the good stuff settles to the bottom and if you just open it and drink it you're just going to be drinking off the top and you're going to miss a lot 
But if you shake it up, if you mix it right, you get all the nutrition you need. Can I encourage you in 2015, don't drink off the top. Don't just come in and skim, sit in the back and look and count the lights in the ceiling and see how many tiles are in the room and see how far away you can sit from the front and you know what I mean? Listen to tapes and don't, don't depend on somebody else's spiritual life for your spiritual life. Don't drink off the top. Mix it. Mix it up. Now, I, I'll give away my age a little bit here. Do you remember when microwaves first came out? Oh, my Lord. Some of you just went into a time. You got kids in the room going, I thought microwave. I thought Noah brought them on the ark. Microwaves? Remember microwave? Old people wouldn't let you bring them in their house. They thought it'd do something to them. Thought it'd kill them. Remember that? Remember that? Old people say, oh, you're not bringing that in my house. Cook my food. It's not supposed to cook that fast. We're all going to get cancer. Right? Well, apparently we all got it or something. Because we're Old folks are burning them up now. Heating up all kind of stuff. Bagels and coffee. I remember when I was a kid, my mom, there were times we didn't have a blender. But she, she get, you remember them giant mixing bowls? You know, like a vat. <laughs> big old. She'd be in the kitchen with a big bowl. And uh, that's before they had all them, you know, finely contoured little mixing devices that or plush and flush with the side of the bowl and you just could get all of it. Back then we just had to whip all of it out with our finger and eat it, remember? There were terrible days, right? Every kid in the house, the neighborhood was waiting on the bowl. So what we really want is the bowl. I don't care about the cake. Give me the bowl. Because there's a half a cake left in there. You couldn't get it out. There wasn't any way. Remember the big old tablespoons you thought you, you were done climb the jack and the beanstalks talking to John's out? Big old tablespoons, remember those? She'd be in the kitchen there and she'd have that thing turned backwards and just be beating the dog life out of something. Beating it to death. Huh? I'm talking about hacking it, going after it. Jesus' name, knocking the demons out of it. Whatever it was. Beating that thing. That, that, hey, that's the old school blender right there. So you know what I'm talking about. You remember, you've seen it, you've seen your grandma do it. Hey, it's good though, wasn't it? You want to eat it, huh? They didn't, they didn't call twice when it was done, did they? No. Beat it. But you know what? You know what? You know what that is right there? That's a mixing bowl. That's the way faith is. Faith isn't pretty. Faith isn't clean. Faith isn't exact. It's human. It's holy. It's mixed. It's all that stuff. You take that big old spoon, you turn the thing around backwards the way it's never been, and you just beat it. And I just want to encourage you. You might not know exactly what you're doing. And if you do, I think you know less than you think. What I want to encourage you to do is we pursue breakthrough and we fast and we pray and we worship is mix it up. Take your faith and put it into that word and mix it and mix it and mix it. And you won't all, if you wait for you get it all right, you'll surely get it wrong. There's a way to get it wrong other than not getting it right. It's to wait too long to get it right. And then you'll get it wrong. Then you'll be looking out a window somewhere and it'll all be over and you'll go, I wish I would have tried. Wish I would have tried. Don't get it wrong like that. Let us fear. And so I want to encourage you, mix it up with faith. So would you stand with me this morning?
ask our, our prayer team to come. And here's what I want us to do this morning. We're, we're, we're just a little early. And I, I'm glad. That's what I wanted to happen. You never know what's going to happen when somebody starts talking, though, do you? I'm glad. We, some, some of our prayer team come this way. Yeah, come on, Earl. Maybe some more will come. Look, here's what I want you to do. Every eye closed. Nobody looking around. If you need a breakthrough, I asked you earlier. If you need a breakthrough in your life, what I want you to do is I want you to I want you to fit, I want you to mix his word with your faith. You heard the word. Now, as James says, faith without action is dead. Right? So I want you to put some action to the word. I want you to put some engagement. I want you to put some, I want you to mix it. So this morning in this place, if you say, I need a breakthrough in my life, it doesn't even matter what subject we're on. You're just going to start this 21-day season of prayer and fasting off right and say, God, here I am. Here's what I believe. I believe if you take a step forward and you begin to pray and you begin to seek His face, I believe something will begin to happen. You will start to profit by it because you're mixing your faith with His Word. Now, either you believe that or you don't believe Christianity. That's what it is. So I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands or do anything like that. Here's all I'm going to do. I'm going to pray, and I'm going to say, if you need a breakthrough, I want you to step in faith toward God. And as you're coming, I want you to say, Lord, I believe you. I don't understand everything, but I believe you. I don't have it all figured out, but I believe you. I believe you. I receive your word. I walk in your word. I trust your word. I believe your word. I'm going to seek you through your word, and I believe you. Lord Jesus, this morning, I thank you for the stirring of the Holy Spirit. I thank you for the call of God on our lives. You have drawn us into this time of breakthrough. Now, God, we pursue you for who you are. We leave the breakthroughs to you. But our faith is centered in you. We need a breakthrough this morning in our own belief. We need a breakthrough in our own faith. So this morning we come to seek it. Would you take a step of faith right now? And would you move out and say, God, here I am. This is a between you, about you and Jesus. If you need to pray with somebody, pray with them. If you don't, you just come as you are. Come on. Come on. If you need a breakthrough, let's go. Come on. Come on. You need a breakthrough. Come on. Just come and stay.